golly, you know, that's crazy. I woke up this morning, and uh, I was having this crazy dream, and I was all over, you know, how those dreams go over, you're everywhere, and this was about luggage, and I couldn't find my luggage. And so I woke up, and I was in the middle of uh, some kind of garage looking in a trunk, and there was all kinds of luggage, not my luggage. And so everywhere I go today, I feel like I'm forgetting something. You know, where's that? Where's that? Like my plug-in there, Daryl. So there you go. And had to have a segue there. Uh, but I feel discombobulated. You know, you wake up in the middle of a dream, you want to finish it, right? You want to get it all? It, oh, man. Oh, okay. So I'm just glad you're here today, and we get to have communion together. Isn't that exciting? to celebrate that and just look forward to moving to that place. And uh, I'm just going to ask if you would just go ahead, everybody grab your message notes to look like this out of your program, and then you can follow along. You have your Bible open to 1 John. 1 John's at the end of the New Testament, so if you get to Revelation, you've gone too far, just go back a little bit. If you have your Bible app on your phone, you can look up in 1 John as well. We're going to be in chapter 4. Uh, if you're watching online, you can also just uh, want to encourage you to go ahead and do a connection card so you can communicate with us about what's going on in your life. So we're in a series called Reset, and what we're doing is we're talking about this idea of uh, coming to places in life where we can have a reset, and uh, Jesus specifically wants to give you that. He wants to draw you to a place where you can change, where you can move in a different direction than you are right now. And it's based on this uh, conversation that Jesus was having with this religious guy. Uh, he was called a scribe, and his job was to, uh, to write from... Uh, by hand uh, from the Old, the Old Testament text, and so he would copy it by hand, and so that's all he did. So he was very familiar with the Bible and what it has to say, and the Jewish people in this day, they, had, they were incredibly zealous about keeping the Ten Commandments, the law, those kinds of things. They were so zealous, in fact, that over time, after God gave Moses the Ten Commandments, they had actually expanded the Ten Commandments to 613 commandments. That's how zealous they were to keep God's law. You know, as if God needed help, right? He needed help in some way. That, let's just keep adding on. And by the way, I just say that's one thing that's dangerous about religious people. Religious people always believe that God needs their help, right? What religious people do, that God can't do it unless I engage in some way. So this religious guy, he comes to Jesus, and he's, it's hard. He's really... Uh, wants to come to Jesus in a, in a very open and honest, vulnerable way, authentically. And he says to Jesus, I want to know. Tell me what's most important to the one and the only God. 613 commandments. I want to just make sure I'm at least doing the right one out of all of these. And I don't want to miss out in some way. And then Jesus replied in Mark 12. It's on the top of your notes. He said this, the most important commandment is this. Listen, Israel. The Lord our God is the one and only Lord, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And then he says, oh, by the way, there's another one. And so the second one is, notice the word. You might underline it, equally important. Equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other com commandment is greater than these. So he said, this is the most important thing you can do. He says, there's actually two answers to the question you asked. There's not just one. First, you're to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, and all of your strength. And that's what we've covered so far in this series. So maybe you're here for the first time. It's encouraging you to go back and watch the messages so you can hear what Jesus was actually calling us to do, that we would love the Lord our God in that way. And then Jesus says, oh, and by the way, here's how you know. 
Here's how you know you're loving God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. Listen carefully. You will love your neighbor as yourself. You will love your neighbor as yourself. So here's what Jesus is saying, folks. You can't love God and hate your neighbor. You can't love God and hate your neighbor. If you think you can, you've become your own God, and you're calling the shots. Because of the, universe, the God of the universe says, you show that you love me by how you love your neighbor. That's how you show you love me. So you love God as you love your neighbor, and the opposite would be true. When you love your neighbor, you are loving God. You love your neighbor, you're loving God. My friend and mentor, his name is Bill Galtier, he says it this way in a prayer. It's called the Apprentice Prayer. And I uh, attempt to pray this every day and have it in a specific spot in my house so that I'm always in the same, you know, pretty much the same spot every day and attempt to pray it. But there's a line in it, and it says this, God, I want to love you today with all my heart, all my soul, all my mind, and all my strength. And he says this, and with all my relationships. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. So this is so important to God that what we're going to do is we're going to take the rest of this series and we're going to talk how to, about how to love God through our relationships, how to love people and love God. Now, every week is going to have a different title, uh, but every week is going to have the same theme, that this is one way that we love God by how we treat others. So I guess the first thing we ought to do then, if we're going to talk about this for several weeks, we need to ask the question, who's my neighbor? We need to know who's my neighbor, because for some people, this is very important, and they want to be very specific about this, because they don't want, just like the scribe, they want to make sure they don't miss out, so they want to know, you tell me who my neighbor is, so I make sure I love that person. So I'll just say this, folks, your neighbor is not just someone who lives beside you in your resident, you know, at your residence, it's someone who lives in the house next to you, uh, or across the street from you, or down the block from you, or on your road somewhere or even in your community. Your neighbor is everyone, everyone you cross paths with. I know that's terrible grammar. Everyone you cross paths with, that's your neighbor. Your neighbor is the person on each side of you. So I want you to look beside you right now. Just look around. These are your neighbors. So why don't you just look at the person next to you and say, howdy neighbor, go ahead. Some of you want to move, I know. <laughs> Can't do that yet, okay? Just sit somewhere else next week, okay? There you go. Your neighbor is the person across the street from you, uh, on the same road you live on, in your community, at your workplace, where you shop, where you work out, where you recreate, where you play. Your neighbor can be in your city, in your country, in your state, uh, in your county, in your state, in your country, in your continent, on your hemisphere, on the globe. Your neighbor can be everywhere. And God calls us to love everyone, folks. This is hard. He calls us to love everyone, no matter their nationality, no matter their religious beliefs, no matter their skin color, no matter their gender, no matter their political party. Got it? No matter their political party, okay? No matter the sports team that they follow. No matter their sexual orientation, no matter their addiction, whether they're employed or unemployed, whether they're housed or they're homeless. God says, 
I want you to love everyone as if they are your neighbor, as if they are your neighbor. He calls us to love them even though we disagree with them. Our job is to love others, not judge others, to love others, not judge them. And both, I'll just say this, uh, this is, I think, where Christians have lost in the culture war. This is one of the primary ways. You know, I mean, you may think that uh, you look at culture and you look at values and you can maybe pick your ways that you think that we've lost the culture war. And it's really a way that you can blame someone outside of yourself. But I believe the way that we've lost the culture war is that Christians have failed to love people. Failed to love people, especially people who are different than they are. I got to hear uh, Ray Johnson from Bayside speak this week, and he said that surveys show that 90% of unchurched people, this is people who don't go to church, 90% of them have a, a positive view of Jesus. 90%, a positive view of Jesus. At the same time, these same people, these same unchurched people, only 42% have a positive view of Christians. We've got a problem. We've got a gap here. We have an image problem. And the problem is, here's the problem. We don't look and act like Jesus. Because if we looked and act like Jesus, 90% would want to follow and know and be loved by us if we did that. See, we love, so here's the problem. So many of us, we love our religious views and we love living in our religious subculture more than we love Jesus and others. We protect our religious subculture because it's so important to us. Instead of loving others, many of us, we spend our time judging others so that we can be better than them, so that we can put them in their place, so we can say, I'm loved by God because of what I do, with the inference that you're not because of what you do. See, we've not loved those that God has called us to love. Because we believe in some way that we're superior or we're better than, and some way that we've judged them as less than us. And so we're saying we don't have to love them. But God says this, folks, everyone you meet is your neighbor. So if everyone you meet is your neighbor, what am I called to do? Love everyone. Love everyone. It's really quiet in here right now. We're called to love everyone. So what we're going to do today is we're going to look at some um, verses from 1 John, uh, and uh, really wonderful verses about the, the whole idea of relationships. And uh, honestly, when I you know, picked the title for today and the direction I thought we'd go, I thought we were going to be in Romans today. And so we were going to be in Romans chapter 12 today, and I was going to go through this whole list in Romans 12 about how we love each other, but God directed it another way, and especially because we're having communion today is I knew that we needed to understand our relationship with God, and then because we have this relationship with God, how he calls us to relate to others. And one of the best places to do that is in 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. So I'm going to give you two ideas today. The first is this. Um, in order to reset relationships, I must receive God's love to me. So you must receive God's love to you. In order to have a reset, in order to be able to love others, I have to ha be loved by God. I have to receive his love that he has for me. 1 John 4. Now, what I'm going to do is uh, I'm going to go 7 through 12 today, but I'm going to take them out of order uh, because in the middle is the key, are the key verses for uh, how we can know how much God loves us and receive that, verses 9 and 10. This is what he says. 
He says, God showed how much he loved us by sending. So how did God show how much he loved us? He sent his one and only son. So he gave everything. He gave that which was the most value. So he sent and he gave that which is the most value. So you're kind of going to get the drift here of what he's going to ask us to do. He sent and gave that which is the most value so that we might have eternal life through him. So it was for us, not what he could gain. It was for us. This is real love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. So he sent Jesus to become a sacrifice for us, and that's what we celebrate when we have communion today, that he came to take away our sins. Now, what we're talking about here, the word love is used here. It's the word agape, and many of you have heard this word agape and agape love and what it means. And agape love is the greatest form of love. There's different kinds of love in the Greek language, but this is the most intense sacrificial kind of love. Agape love is not conditional on another person, on their behavior, on how they act, or how they perform, or the needs that I get met. It's not conditional on another person in any way. In fact, it, agape love has the other person's well-being in mind, in mind all the way. So here's what C.S. Lewis said. I guess that was already up there. I saw you guys looking there instead of me. And so um, C.S. Lewis says this about this kind of agape love. Agape love is a selfless, sacrificial, unconditional love, a love passionately committed to the well-being of another. You know, you got your, you've got your phone? Why don't you just take a picture of that screen so you can remember that? Let's just leave that up a second and let you take a picture if you want so you can remember this. Agape love is a selfless, sacrificial, unconditional love, a love passionately committed to the well-being of of another. It's okay, folks. You can get your phone out. <laughs> it really is. If you want to take a picture of that. But some of you already have it memorized. You're way smarter than me and you're able to do that. So this love that God shows, this kind of agape love is what we must recognize. So we have to see it and then we have to receive it. If I don't see it, I can't receive it. So first of all, I just have to be able to recognize it. And so what it says here is that God sent his one and only son to this planet and his one and only son gave up his rights, all of his rights, uh, when he came here. When Jesus chose to submit himself to God's plan and come to earth, he was choosing to be, here's the choice Jesus made, he was choosing to be misunderstood, opposed, maligned, mistreated, criticized, and treated unjustly. So that means that if I'm going to choose to love others as God has called me, I'm submitting myself to the possibility that I will be misunderstood, opposed, maligned, mistreated, criticized, or treated unjustly. Now, what keeps us from loving others? Because we're afraid that we're going to be misunderstood, opposed, maligned, mistreated, criticized, or, or treated unjustly, right? That's what keeps us from it. It's fear. Jesus chose then even with all of that against him, he chose to die the cruelest death possible, and that would be death on a cross. So he loves us that much that he would be a sacrifice made to God to take the punishment that was due us. So first of all, he's taken my punishment upon himself to appease the wrath of a holy God. To, and then as the shedding of his blood came, the blood sealed the covenant that would be established between us and God that we are now acceptable to him in relationship with him. So we have communion today. His body broken for you, his blood shed for you. Body broken to take your punishment 
blood shed to seal the covenant, that you could know God. This is agape love. This is the love God has for you. And when we recognize that, when we see that, for most people, I would just say most people, when they see that, then it naturally makes them want to receive it, right? I want that kind of love. I want to be loved in that way unconditionally, to receive mercy, and not only receive mercy, but to then just to be piled on with favor at the same time. That's exactly what happened at the cross. God sent his one and only son to die on a cross so that whoever receives him can have everlasting life. And the Bible says in, first, in John 1.12, you might write that down, John 1.12, it says, John 1.12 says, to as many as received him, he gave them to write to become children of God. So I receive him. So how do I do that? Well, to receive is just to say this, okay, God, I agree, I need you. I agree. I, I, I see what you did for me. And I know I can't do anything to gain your favor or to receive mercy or forgiveness. So, God, I agree I need you. And so what I'm going to do in this reception, God, is I'm going to admit my need. And I'm going to confess my deep sin and that I can't do anything about my condition on my own. So that's how I receive. I just receive by saying I admit, confess my deep sin, and that I can't do anything about my condition on my own. And I'm going to receive from you your gift of, I can't earn it, your gift of forgiveness, cleansing, restoration, and renewal. And folks, there's no one outside of God's grace. I, you know, some of you think that you've done some really terrible things, and you probably, you may have. But there's nothing you can do except reject his love that will keep you from his family. Nothing. And so he says to you, if you'll admit and come, I will give you myself, come into relationship with you. I will cleanse you, heal you, renew you, restore you. And then we will be in relationship together. He said, that's what's possible. And then the beauty of that is now I can rest. So up until now, I've been striving and earning, and that's what the scribe was doing. He was striving and earning, trying to make sure he was getting God's favor. But when I receive, I can rest in his grace. doesn't mean I don't do anything anymore, but I'm not doing what I'm doing to earn his approval. But I can rest in his grace. I no longer have to worry if I'm accepted by him. I no longer have to try to gain, work to gain his approval. I no longer have to be outside of relationship with him. I can be in total relationship with him, and I can rest in that grace. And so today, when we come to communion, what you're doing is you're remembering what he's done for you. You're being renewed in your spirit. So I, I believe that every time we have communion, and I love how many people are here today, that this is the place to be. Because it's a time to be renewed and then to have a reset to know that, you know what, because I don't know about you, but I get caught up in trying to earn, my, earn approval from others and God a lot. But I need to come back and be reminded so I can rest, rest in what he's done for me. And then what's, this is what Romans 5, 8 talks about there, about what he's done for us. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. So when we have communion in just a little while, this verse will be on the screens for just a little bit, just to remind you what we've talked about right there. Okay, now, I've received it, and I hope that most of you have. If you haven't, I'm going to give you a chance to do that today. So the next thing I'll do after I receive his love to me is I'm going to reflect his love through me. So I reflect his love through me, through you. 
Now I'm going to go back in verses 7 and 8, and I'm also going to jump ahead and read 11 and 12. And I hope you have your message notes out so you can underline with me as I call this out. He says, dear friends, let us continue to love one another. So underline that, love one another. For love comes from God, so that's the source. Anyone who loves God is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love God does not know God, for God is love. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. Underline that, love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, underline that, love each other, God lives in us, and his love is brought to, underline this, highlight this, in any way, bold this, it is brought to full expression in love in us. God's love is brought to full expression in us as we love others. Others will see God's love for them as we love each other, as we learn to rest in his love for us. Love is the evidence of having received God's love. If you love, what it says here, it's because you know God's love. If you don't love, by the way, if you have someone you hate, it means you're in sin. It means you don't love God. It means you don't know him, possibly. Love for others is the evidence of indwelling, of his indwelling love in your life, is when I love others. When we show love for others, what it says there is now his love is completed, and so other people will be able to see that, or his love is brought to full expression as I love others. This is just mind-boggling. It's mind-boggling. We wrestle with this. We have this amazing role to play in God's kingdom, and his role is, is that he wants us to put his love on display for all to see. He wants us to reflect his love so others can know him. And I'll just go back to the image problem we have, and I'll say it this way. Here's what God would say, is that God has placed his church here, Christians here, to reflect his love to the world. We have an image problem. It's because we are not loving each other, and then we're not loving neighbors as we go. Love is the message he calls us to put on display. So how does this happen? According to Jesus, it's, it begins by the way that we love each other. Now, I want to read this quote from Paul Miller, and uh, I love this, and I'm going to read Jesus' words from John 13. Paul Miller says this, our faces... How we reflect Jesus and our gentleness, our boldness, and our love are God's best picture of himself on earth. It's not creation, folks. It's our faces. Some of you need to tell your face, it's time to start showing love. Not anger or disapproval or judgment or fear. Now, this is what Jesus said. He says, I'm giving you a new commandment. So, hey, Jesus ain't... Here it is. Here's the new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love, I love this. Same thing that John said. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. So you are the full expression of God's love on earth as you love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. And what God wants us to do is he wants us as a church to get really, 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 really good at loving each other. Not just hanging out in chairs on Sunday, but truly loving each other, meeting each other's needs, caring for each other, showing empathy to each other, 
lifting each other up, encouraging each other. The Bible's full of admonitions for how we would love each other. We're called to love each other, and as we do, his love is perfected, uh, reflected to the world. We're called to love each other, and out of that relationship, we get to love our neighbors. So I just want you to think about that. You turned to your neighbor a while ago, and you said, howdy, neighbor. Now I want you to turn to your neighbor right now, and I want you to say these words. It's going to be uncomfortable for some of you. I love you. Would you do that with me? I love you, Susan. Mm. I love you, man. We should just have a whole Sunday with that's all we do. Is have a hug fest, right? They'd really think Twin Cities is weird then, right? A hug fest. Now, in alignment with the question the scribe asked Jesus, so this is in alignment with, so it's wonderful how the Bible aligns with itself. So in alignment with that question and in alignment with Jesus' response, Paul writes these words in Romans 13. He says this. Now, if you remember this, remember the first week of this series, I talked to you about the fact that there are 10 commandments. The first four commandments are all about the relationship between me and God. They're all about vertical relationship, the first four. And then the last six are all about horizontal relationships. They're all about how I relate to others, okay? So four with God, six with others. He knew that that's where we'd have the most difficulty. And so he needed to be very clear about this. So Paul, in Romans 13, writes some, doesn't include all of the six, but he says this. The commandments say, you must not commit adultery, so if I have, you know, an affair with another man's wife, is that loving? No, no. You must not commit adultery. You must not murder. If I murder somebody, is that loving? No, not at all. You must not steal. So it goes on. You must not covet. These and other commandments are summed up in this one commandment. Here we go. The same thing. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to others. So love fulfills the requirements of God's law. So what I want to do is I just wanted you to give you something now to wrestle with a little bit more in case I haven't given you enough yet. And uh, I'm going to walk through these six commands, and I'm going to give you an action statement that goes with each of the commands, and then we'll have communion together. How to love our neighbors. First, be respectful. Be respectful, and the commandment is to honor your father and mother. Now, I would think that you know, most people would say that's really important, is that we would honor our parents that we would show our parents respect and kindness, but I think we can take that out from there, is that I would show respect and kindness to everyone. I would honor everyone. And so what that means is, is that you know we're all in a relationship in some way. Just think about work, okay? We're all in a relationship in some way where we have people who are over us and we have people who are under us. And so what this command would say to us, specifically in a work relationship, maybe it'd be a home relationship, it could be in other places as well, um, is that I'm going to respect and honor those who are over me, and I'm going to respect and honor those who are under me. And that, therefore, everyone will know I love them as I do that. I will be respectful. Second is this, I will be forgiving. I will be forgiving. The commandment is do not murder. Now, as I said, it's murdering someone's not loving, right? We'll just say that. It's not, uh, no matter what you may think. So loving our neighbor means that instead of seeking revenge from someone who has hurt us, 
I will do as the Bible says, and I will forgive my enemies. I will forgive those who mistreat me. I will forgive those who persecute me. I will forgive those who curse me. And so I will be forgiving. Be pure is next. You must not commit adultery is the command. And folks, I'll just say this, is that um, I've been you know, doing this four, Philippians 4.8 mind challenge for you guys on my Facebook page every day, and I'm not sure how much longer we'll do this, but I did hear that 21 days makes a habit, so I might go full 21 days doing this. I want to thank you for all your feedback, and if you're not one of my friends, you need to ask to be, and I might let you be. Uh, and um, <laughs> depends on, I actually look at what you've been putting on your site first before I say yes or no. Um, just so you know, um, and because I don't want to, I just want to make sure everybody that's with me is in alignment. Um, as somebody else looked at my Facebook page, uh, and so this: be pure. You must not commit adultery. And so what this is is, we must ask God. I'll just be a challenge here. I'm not going to push too hard on individuals. Let's just say we. We must ask God to deliver those of us in this room who struggle with pornography. And statistics shows that's a huge chunk of this of people in this room. Men and women struggle with pornography. We must ask God to deliver those of us then who are using a screen to get our needs met. We must ask God to deliver those of us who are getting our physical or emotional needs met by someone who is not our spouse or someone who's the spouse of another. We must ask God to stop that. We must ask God to deliver those who are in inappropriate sexual relationships inappropriate sexual relations. We need to ask God to deliver us and lead us into purity. Next one is be generous. You must not steal. So basically, when you steal something, you're saying, my needs come before yours. That's what stealing is. My needs come before yours, so I'm going to take from you what's yours because my needs are more important than yours. I, get, I need what you have, so I'm going to take it because it now will belong to me, and I need it as I've determined more than you need it. So the opposite of that, then, instead of taking, is to be generous, right? So I'm going to look for ways to give away, because what I have is not that important to me, and especially if it'll help you in some way. So I'm going to look for ways to be generous. Be truthful. Be truthful, and the command is you must not give false testimony. And so um, I will just say it this way, no slander. And I'm thinking of maybe your social media page right now. No slander of others, and no gossip. This can happen through social media or one-to-one or in groups. No gossip. Uh, in other words, I'm going to share the truth. In other words, I'm only going to share what's good for building others up. Now, I would agree there's a time and a place that the most loving thing to do is to tell someone the hard truth, but I don't do it publicly, and I don't do it to others. I do it to the person they need to talk to. No gossip. No, no falsehoods. And then be grateful. Be grateful. Do not covet your neighbor's wife. Or he goes on and talks about possessions or house or car or vacations or garden or all that stuff. I know that's all there in that command. Instead, learn to be grateful for what you already have. Learn to be grateful for what you have. Learn to rejoice with what your neighbor has without resenting them. Learn to rejoice with what your neighbor has without resenting them and wanting what... That's how you love your neighbor, okay? So there you go. 
Six commands, six directives on how we love our neighbor. So this is ways that you can practice this. And now what I want to do is we're going to move into time of communion. I'm going to read these verses from John 15 first. And these are right before Jesus was crucified. These are the final hours before his crucifixion. He says these words that are recorded by the beloved apostle John. He said this, I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. So he's saying, as you've seen me love you, just know that's how I've received love from the Father. Now remain in my love. So stay in this place. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you will be, underline this, filled with my joy. Do you want to know the joy of Jesus? It's in loving others. It's in loving others. Yes, your joy will overflow. It will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. There is great joy in receiving the love of the Lord for me. And there's, I don't know, I'd say there's even greater joy in reflecting the love of the Lord to others and seeing them receive it, seeing what they get when they get to know him. There's great joy. So will you, I just want to say, will you do as Jesus commands? And so here's the bottom line. Here's the bottom line of today. God shows his love to you so that he can show his love through you. He shows his love to you so he can show his love through you. Let's love as Jesus loved. Now, I'm going to go way out on a limb here. I'm going to leave you with this thought. All you need is love. (laughs) Help me. All you need is love. All you need is love, love, love is all you need. Isn't that right? Love is all we need, and love is what the world needs. Those who love God best will love others most, okay? So let's pray for a minute, and then we're going to have our communion time. I want our uh, attendance to go ahead and get into place, and I'm going to pray with this, because some of us have never received his love, and I want to give you a chance to do that. God, we come before you, and we thank you for this opportunity to hear from you about love and how much you love us. And we're getting ready to experience communion, which is just an example of your body that was broken for us, Jesus, and your blood that was shed for us. And if you've heard my words today, Holy Spirit's touched your heart, your mind, and you've never received Jesus, I want this to be the day. I'd love it to be the day. In fact, everything would be worth it for me today if you said yes. I'll just give you a chance. You can say, Jesus, I want to say yes now. I want to say yes to the love that you have for me. I want to say yes. I want to admit now my deep sin. I confess it to you. And Jesus, I ask you by the blood of Jesus Christ that you would cover that sin and that you would no longer see me as sinful. But I now become your beloved, a beloved child of the Most High God. And Father, I pray now as we have communion together that you would just remind us, each one of us in this room, how much you love us. And then you would inspire us that we would become, and just leave here today with a passion to love others more. In fact, even the people in this room, the people around us right now, We know people in this room that maybe we have some animosity towards or there's been a relational fracture 
or in some way there's some tension or maybe we've overlooked and today we just want to get that straight we'd want to go to them when we're finished today and just say you know i love you i just want you to know that sorry for how i hurt you so i thank you jesus and i pray that in this time that we would all sense your presence in a huge way it's in your name we pray amen so here's what we're going to do. We're going to do the self-serve approach. So you're going to be able to stand, and then you're going to move to one of the tables. So we can kind of go this way. And this, these two sections will go this way. There's three sections. You'll go down here. And we'll just kind of you know, work this out together. This is part of relationship, folks. I love it doing this way because it's, it's chaotic. And, and yet it's the way life is. And we get to be together. We get to stand in a line. And maybe in that line we get to pray for someone that we're with in some way. Up there, you go to the back tables. Everybody else comes to the front tables. And so you're just going to get a chance to do that. What I want you to do is I want you to take the piece of bread, the cracker, and the juice. And then uh, just move back to your place or somewhere in an aisle. And I want you to eat the bread. And I want you to say, whisper to yourself, his body broken for me and eat the bread. And I want you to drink the juice and say, his blood shed for me, and drink it. And then move back to your seat and just continue to pray, and then we'll close our service all together. So if you want to stand up right now, you can move into place. And we're also going to have some music sung over us. It's just going to be beautiful. You don't have to move right away. It's just going to take some time for us to do this. Just enjoy it together. encourage those of you, if there's someone with a disability around you, that you would be helpful and serve them as well.
Christ's body that was broken for me. He took his punishment, the punishment that was due me onto his body for my sin. His blood that was shed for me sealed the deal, sealed the covenant. Poured his blood. God sees me. He sees Jesus in his perfection, in his love, and he loves me as he loved his son. I am his beloved. You are his beloved in Christ. Let's pray that we'd be able to live in that reality, folks. Because honestly, we're not going to be able to live the lives and be the reflectors God calls us to live if we don't truly embrace the love he has for us. Embrace it. Embrace his love for you. Know it deep in your heart. And I, I know it's a process. Believe me. I have a lot of shame in my background. A lot of shame inside of me. And it's taken a long time to get to even to the place where I can say, I believe he loves me. And the enemy comes at me all the time to try to say, there's no way he can love you. Because shame wants to look back at what you did and tell you you're bad. God says, no, I want to leave you to look forward and live as I've made you to be. And you can be the greatest reflector for me ever because you understand the love I have for you. God, I just thank you so much for the time we were here today, that what we experienced together. I pray that this won't just be a service, that this gathering would be part of community. And that as we leave here today, that we would be more deeply committed to loving others and it just begins with loving the people right here but also then as we leave here today that we won't just be about some holy huddle of oh in a love hug but that we would be going out to because we know how deeply the world needs to know your love and we'd be reflectors of that love we're not here to judge people we're here to love people. So I pray that you would give us that posture. And that would be what we carry out. So in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.